All right. The passage we want to look at for a few minutes is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. I want to warn you, this is a confusing passage. I spent a lot of the week uh, reading a lot of uh, interpretations and uh, trying to, uh, as people struggled with this, and I came to the conclusion that no one really knows everything this passage is saying. However, there is one portion of it that I think can greatly bless our lives. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this, the Word of God. Then we'll remain standing for the song that's going to follow. Paul writes, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put on a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, and He is the Spirit. May God bless the reading of His Word. Or, as I say, you know, if I'm going to stand up. If you want to stand up, too, that'd be good. Someone once asked a famous explorer, when did you become an explorer? And he had a ready answer for that question. He said, next month. He says, because you see, I'm only explore, an explorer when I'm out exploring. And the rest of the time, I'm just me. Let me ask you a question. When did you become a disciple of Jesus Christ? Now, when I ask that question, you might think to a particular moment in your life. Perhaps your baptism. At that moment, you became a disciple of Jesus. But let's consider the answer of the explorer. I'm only an explorer when I am exploring. And the rest of the time, I'm just me. Does that not apply as well? That we are only disciples of Jesus Christ when we are actively following Jesus Christ. And sadly enough, the rest of the time, I'm just me. I wonder what would happen if we asked the Apostle Peter this question. Peter? When did you really become a disciple of Jesus? Maybe he'd tell us the story of that morning when he was there at the Lake of Galilee where he worked as a fisherman and he'd been fishing all night long and they'd had a very miserable night, hadn't caught anything. And they were there cleaning up and mending their nets to put them aside so they can go rest for a while and hit it again the next night. And Jesus comes along. And he's teaching people, and a big crowd gathers. And so he asked Peter, can I borrow your boat? 
I want to get in the boat and just push out a little bit from the shore so there's a buffer here so I can talk to all of these people. And Peter said, sure. So Peter put Jesus in the boat and they backed off the shore a little bit and Jesus taught the people. And when the teaching was completed, then he said, okay, Peter, let's go out in the middle of the lake. Let's do some fishing. Peter might have thought, oh, man. (laughs) <laughs> if there's anything I don't want to do right now is more fishing. He says, you know, we were out there all night. We didn't catch anything, but okay, if that's what you want to do and you say to do it, we can go out there and fish. So they go out to the middle of the lake and Peter takes the nets and throws them over the side and begins to pull them up, expecting them to be empty again as they had been the whole night before. But as he begins pulling them up, Then he realizes there's something in those. And as he tries to pull them up, they're so heavy he can't do it by himself. His brother Andrew tries to help him. He calls his partners from the shore. Come out here. We got got this tremendous catch of fish. And they pull them all up and said, fill two boatloads of fish. And Peter says, right then I realize that this man in my boat is not just any man. Wow. And then I begin to realize that This man is truly from God. And then I began to realize I don't have any right to be in his presence because I know who I am. I know what I think about. I know what I do. And he threw himself before Jesus and said, you've got to go away because I am a sinful man. And Jesus said, oh, Peter, I'm not going away. In fact, you're going to come with me. You come and follow me. And we're not just going to fish in the lake. We're going to go out and catch a whole bunch of people. Could be that Peter would point to that and say, that's when I really became a disciple. But you know, there's so much more in Peter's life. He might tell you the story of whenever he and Jesus and the disciples were up north of the Sea of Galilee and they're walking around talking and Jesus says, who do people say that I am? What are they saying about me? And they start telling him all these different answers. He says, okay, okay, that's what everyone else thinks, but what I'm most interested in is what do you think? What do you think of me? Who am I? And Peter stands up and says, you are the Christ. And Jesus says, that's right. I'm the Christ. And let me tell you what the Christ does. And he begins to tell them that he is going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to die. Well, right then, Peter jumps up and says, "Uh uh-uh, that's not what a Christ does. I'm sorry, you you may be the Christ, but you don't understand what it means to be Christ. You know, Christ is a grand and glorious figure. You don't go when you die. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, you're out of place. You're trying to tell me what to do. You're trying to guide me. Peter, get behind me. That's where disciples are. They follow. Maybe that's when it finally sunk into Peter about what it means to follow Jesus. Although he might tell you the story of that weekend that began with the Passover meal, Jesus and his closest friends. And then after the Passover meal, they went out to the garden, and there Jesus began to pray. And then one of the inner circle shows up, Judas, bringing all the authorities with him. And right then and there, they arrest Jesus. 
and take him away. And Peter follows, but from a distance. And he goes and he watches as Jesus goes to trial. And people start coming up to him and saying, are you following this man? Not I. I don't even know the guy. I mean, one of the people that came up was this big, scary little girl. And she came up and said, aren't you one of his followers? No. I don't even know the man. After he had said that three times, a rooster crowed. And all he remembered, Jesus had told him this is exactly what was going to happen. Before the sun came up, before the alarm clock went off, before the rooster crowed, he would have denied him three times. And when he realized what he had done, he broke down and he wept. In fact, Scripture says he wept bitterly. And I don't think he just wept for ten minutes or an hour. I think he wept for a good part of three days. thought he had been a follower, and he had abandoned him. Maybe he'd tell you about on Sunday morning, how when they were gathered together consoling one another about what had happened, that all of a sudden some of the women that had been a part of their group came bursting into the room and said, we've been to the cemetery, he's not there anymore. We went in the grave, it's empty. And in fact, we even saw some angels and they told us. And in fact, Mary even saw Jesus and he talked to her. And you know what? They told us to come tell you guys and they told us especially to tell Peter. Now, I don't know how Peter took that, but in my mind... I think that he was scared to death at that point because he had abandoned him. And particularly Jesus, who was now alive again, wanted to have a little talk with Peter. Can you imagine how he felt whenever Jesus finally entered the room and the first word that he said, and in my mind, looking right at Peter, he said, peace. Maybe that's when Peter became a real disciple of Jesus. Or it could be when Jesus took him aside a few days later at the lake, put his arm around him and said, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, oh, Lord, you know I love you. He says, I've got work for you to do. Get out and feed my sheep. Put his arm around him again and said, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, I told you, Lord, I love you. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Three times, Peter said, I love you. Maybe canceling the three times, he said, I don't know him. Maybe that's when, overwhelmed by his mercy and his grace, he said, this time it's going to stick. This time I'm a disciple. Maybe he'd tell you about the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell upon him. Maybe he'd tell you about the time he was on uh, Simon the Tanner's uh, roof taking a nap. And God gave him a vision and said, Peter, you don't yet understand what all I want you to do. You don't understand the scope of God's mercy and God's grace in this world. Let me show you. Or maybe it would even be the time when Peter was getting to be an older man. And the Apostle Paul had to pull him inside and say, Peter, you're off track again. 
You know, there's people here you won't even sit down and eat with. That's not like our Lord Jesus. Point I'm trying to make is, where do you pinpoint when you became a disciple? It's hard, isn't it? Because discipleship is a journey. It's a process. And we, like Peter and like all human beings, find ourselves oftentimes starting and stopping, following and going our own way. Sometimes we're a disciple. Sometimes I'm just me. I was thinking along these lines because of this one verse that comes at the end of the reading that we did. We have just a few minutes, but I want to turn to that verse and look again at it. Because in this verse, I find for myself, and I hope that you can find for yourself, a real reason to not let our discipleship be this starting and stopping. To not let our following be sometimes and sometimes not. I don't want to be a disciple sometimes, and sometimes just be me. Let's read the verse. It says, verse 18, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And all of us, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror. Now we've got to stop right there and talk about a couple of things. One is, what is this glory of the Lord that we see? What is the glory of the Lord? Now, that's one of those little phrases that pops up a lot in the Bible. Oh, the Lord is the Lord of glory, glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord is here. The glory of the Lord is there. But what is it? What does that mean? Glory is one of those words in the Bible. It's kind of like the word bless. You know, sometimes if you read in the Bible how God blesses us, or you ask God to bless us, and then you turn right around and say that we're supposed to bless God. And you realize, well, two things are going on here. Shouldn't have brought that up because we don't have time to talk about blessed, do we? But glory is the same way. We're called upon to give God glory. And when we're talking in those terms, we're talking about give him honor and praise. That we are to lift up his name and glorify his name. But whenever the Bible talks about the glory of the Lord, that's something totally different. That's an old Hebrew concept. The glory, or as they call it, the kavod of the Lord. What is that? Well, they had a very specific idea. The glory of the Lord is what radiates from the Lord and that you are able to experience and see without dying. All right? How many of you know of verses? Well, you all do, I know. There, there are verses in the Bible that says, No one can see God and live. Remember those verses? No one can see the face of God. We want to experience God. We want to be in His presence, but we cannot be in the presence of God. That would be like trying to get close to the sun. There's too much power. There's too much energy. That if you in some way could draw closer to the sun, your body would disintegrate because of all the power that is, is contained in that star. Well, we cannot approach the ultimate essence of God. We cannot, as the Bible says, see the face of God. What we see and experience is His glory. 
the glory that radiates from him. You might remember a story of when Moses wanted to see God's face up on the mountain. And God says, no one can see my face. You can't see my face and live. You can't take it. But I will let my glory pass by. And you shall see that glory. Or you think about Isaiah when he was in the temple. And all of a sudden things started rocking and shaking and all this stuff started happening. And he saw these feet. He saw a, a king's robe. He saw all these things and he says, it was the glory of the Lord. That's the part of God that we can experience. That's the part of God that we can see. That's the part of God that can become real to us. So let's go back and read our verse again. And all of us with unveiled faces are seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror. It even takes it one step. You know, have you ever tried to look at an eclipse? Uh, even here on the earth, I don't know how many, how many miles are we away from the sun? A lot of miles away from the sun. You still can't look at it, can you? It's just too bright. You can't do that. So you, you take a, a little something to reflect, and you, and you see there, and you watch the eclipse uh, on a piece of cardboard or something like that, because you've got to see the reflection. Well, this is the picture that Paul is painting that the glory of the Lord is here, and that we can experience, that we can see it. Well, where? Well, we haven't read that part yet, have we? Where do we see this glory of the Lord? Where can we come into touch with God and actually see Him in a way that won't destroy us? He goes on to say, we're being transformed into that same image, from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord. Skip down to verse 4, verse 6, chapter 4, verse 6. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And where do we get it? In the face of Jesus Christ. You know, you can experience the glory of God in several ways. The Bible talks about the heavens declare the glory of God. You go out on a starry night and look up, you're seeing God. Well, not his face. You're seeing the glory of God, aren't you? You go out and sit on a hill and watch a beautiful sunset here in West Texas. You know, we ain't got much in West Texas. We got sunsets, okay? And you go out and you, you, you look out there and you see the oranges and the purples and the reds. The heavens declare the glory of God. That's God there. That's the part I can experience, I can see. But Paul wants us to know that the best place to see the glory of God is in the face of Christ. In fact, if we go back to John... John tells us that's the whole reason he came. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And what did we see then in the, in the face of Jesus? What did we see in the Word becoming flesh? Go back and look at it. Maybe you haven't noticed that before. It says, the glory of God is what we see. And then he goes on to say in verse 18, you can't see God and that's why Jesus came, to show him to us. 
In our verse, Paul reminds us that when we allow ourselves to be in the presence of Christ, the living, resurrected Christ, and I really appreciated Jesse's thoughts because I thought, boy, that is tying right in to where we are. Whenever we see Jesus with our eyes, with our hearts, whenever we see him in Scripture, whenever we feel his arms around us in prayer, right then we are as close to the glory of God as we're going to get on this earth. And Paul says that that glory and being in that glory is transforming us and changing us one step at a time. That's why I want to be a follower today and tomorrow and the next day. I'm tired of stopping and starting because I want to be transformed. I want to be changed. I want to be a better person than I am today. And the only way that happens is when we are in the presence of Jesus Christ because there the glory of God is revealed. I want to challenge you to answer the question, when did I become a disciple? With the answer, right now. And tomorrow your answer is going to be, right now. That I'm going to be in the presence of Christ because when I am there, in my heart, God is changing me from one degree to another, one step at a time. I love this passage because just like our story with Peter, whenever he was in that boat with Jesus, and he said, Jesus, you're going to have to leave now because I, I, I'm a sinful man. I love this passage because that's the way I feel too. And yet, in the presence of Jesus, one degree to another, we are changed. If you have yet to begin your walk with the Lord, then yes, you are called upon to confess his name. Yes, you are called upon to join him in the waters of baptism. That's just the beginning. Because every day you spend walking with him, you will become more like the glory of God. Let's stand and sing together.